0: Hey everybody, this is Mickey Raphael, and when I'm not sleeping, I listen to the jukebox graduate, and you should too.
1: Welcome to The Jukebox Graduate. I'm Eugene Edwards and this is Dave Rayburn. And uh, before we get uh, too far into the episode, I want to thank Mickey Raphael for doing the intro for this episode. If you don't recognize him by name, I'm sure you would recognize him by the notes of his harmonica that he's been playing beautifully with Willie Nelson for the better part of 40 years, I believe. And that guy looks so young. (laughs) Still. He he was very young when he joined Willie's band. (laughs) Um, And uh, later in the episode, I'll talk about uh, the experience of doing some shows with Willie Nelson and getting to meet uh, Mickey and hanging out with him. Uh, but before we, uh, we get to that, we should talk about Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, who just passed away, uh, what, about
2: two, three weeks ago?
1: Yes. Uh, I was on the road when I found out, uh, and, you know, he was up there in age. Yes. He was up there in age. Um, but it really did, it's one of those things that just makes you stop and think. Now, you picked... You chose the graphic
2: that goes along with our, our podcast. Yeah. Now, tell me about the graphic and the timing of it. I, I chose it just before our first podcast episode went out. I needed something that sort of reflected what the show was about. And, right? and, and about how long ago was that? Uh, this was about a little over a month ago. Okay. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So it was possibly a week, week and a half before Chuck's passing. Right. And the graphic I went to was from an album cover, um, jukebox hits, I think might've been the name of it. Um, I've actually seen this image, um, initially in the back of a, a Springsteen book called blinded by the light, <laughs> which had a, uh, a great listing in the back of the book that had all the original versions listed of songs that Springsteen has covered in I concert. See. And that image was at the very beginning of that segment. <laughs> and so I think it goes back to that in the eighties when I saw that, that this is a lesson right here mm-hmm. this is where these things came from and so the image is chuck berry leaning on a, a ju- an old fashioned jukebox looking down um, presumably selecting some fantastic track that sure. you know of our imagination right <laughs> whatever you want it to be yeah. or it could be one of his you know Mostly. <laughs> quite likely <laughs> but yeah that was just it seemed like the the image that uh, reflected the show and uh, and then that news came through and it yeah that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks too
1: yeah i uh now uh, Very dynamic figures such as Chuck Berry, uh, and and especially guys that have been around for quite a long time, uh, they end up providing tons of great stories, tons of great lore, if you will. And especially with Chuck doing business in a way where when he would go on the road and play concerts, he would use local pickup bands. The promoter was, okay, so there's, now unfortunately, I never got to be, in one of those bands, and it's it's been notor- It's a notoriously difficult thing to do. Usually, uh, to have played with Chuck, um, so I half regret it. I <laughs> well, Brian Whelan uh, was able to do that. I say I know. Occasion, right? I know plenty of people who yeah. have played yeah. with Chuck, and and Brian had a fantastic time. Brian uh, Chuck, it's Brian was playing piano, mm-hmm. and Chuck was really into whatever Brian was doing. And at one point, I know, we just kept giving him solos. And at one point, sat on the piano bench next to Brian Uh while Brian was playing. go, keep going. And it was, and and I think Brian said the whole thing was essentially like a fever dream. (laughs) (laughs) So, but there is one, if I have one Chuck story, a direct Chuck story, this goes back to the late 90s. I I
2: assume they still have the Hootenanny Festival? No, it actually... uh, They stopped doing it about three years ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah.
1: So in the late 90s, uh, I was w- with Russell Scott. Mm-hmm. We played the Hootenanny Festival. And my good friends uh, in the uh, the San Diego Rockabilly band, Hot Rod Lincoln, they had backed up Chuck once before. And, and it went really well. They, they worked really hard. They, they prepared themselves for weeks. Yeah. And they actually rehearsed how to shift keys or how to shift into <laughs> another song if Chuck was likely what yeah, he was on likely. a whim, right? And Chuck couldn't throw them that night. They were performing at Humphreys, and Chuck, after about a third into the set, and Chuck, try, halfway through a verse, said, drum solo! And Ty <laughs> just played a drum solo. Like, they just, they wouldn't let anything shake them.
3: Yeah.
1: And and so Chuck just kind of gave up, you know, kind of trying to make the band look, trying to make it hard, and just gave a great, show. the rest of the yeah. two thirds, was yeah. fantastic. So this is like two years later and hot run They know they're going to back Chuck up again. They know that he's not going to remember them at all. Right. So the bass player, Johnny said, there might be a way you can help us. And so I was already playing that festival with Russell, but I was going to be done before Chuck said he was headlining. So I got myself to the front in front of the stage. And when they and Chuck came out when he was playing, Johnny and I developed little hand signals. So, Cause I could see Chuck's, because I could see Chuck's hands on the guitar, and he'd positioned himself in a way where Johnny could not—the bass player could not. Okay. So as Chuck would try, and would switch around, or even start a song in a key, I would signal to Johnny what keys. You he's were in, telling the fr- runner to steal second. I was stealing <laughs> signals, and uh, if, if we just had. And Chuck did look a little confused at, at first, like, <laughs> "How does he?" And then, probably just gave up and just gave what I remember being a. Killer set, yeah. and he and Chuck had fun, and the wit was on display. Um, kind of, I remember at some point, kind of making up lyrics on the spot, brilliantly, mm-hmm. and that's what leads me to what we learned from Chuck. Um, we can talk about the guitar playing certainly, uh, but I think uh, over time, I think we're going to look back at the lyrics, mm-hmm. and he gave us he provided us the language if you will the vocabulary yeah. for rock and roll blues had its the blues already had its own uh, i hate to say tropes but you know it had its standard phrases and images to use as as folk music will do country had its own images mm-hmm. and icons to use rock and roll was so new and of course it was a blend of so many of these things that as opposed to borrowing all those things specifically from blues and country which he did do, but cars, girls, this new post-World War II American animal called the teenager. Yeah. <laughs> he advocated for rock and roll inside of the songs. Uh, you know, the blues has a lot of songs about the blues. Honky Tonk music has a lot of songs yeah. love yeah. about Honky Tonk. And because of Chuck, we quickly had a library of rock and roll songs that referred to rock and about roll. About rock and roll, yeah, that's right. And it was very valuable. Mm. I think it, you know, it. Uh, how about you? Was there were there any Chuck lyrics that you remember the first time you heard them, or you just like I'll, you know, I'll never
2: forget where I was well, when I heard that, or things that caught your attention? Well, for me, of course, songs like Johnny Be Good were on the radio, so those were in my blood already. But there were certain songs that I didn't hear directly from Chuck that I heard elsewhere. Mm -hmm. For example, through Bootlegs, um, I learned too much monkey business through The Beatles. Mm -hmm. But probably the biggest one that got my attention that I'd never heard on the radio before was You Never Can Tell, (laughs) which I initially heard from a 1974 Springsteen bootleg, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was the coolest thing. This is all pre-Pulp Fiction. Sure. You know, Uh um, this is, yeah, so... for me to hear certain lyrics like that reference a Coolerator or, you <laughs> know, like uh, Sears and Roebuck's sale. I mean, these are things that like are very, very specific and very detailed. And, and really, he painted that landscape like you knew exactly where everything was in that room that mm-hmm. he was telling the story from. Yeah. Um, but going back to the uh, the Hail, Hail Rock and Roll documentary, um around the same time I was really getting into Chuck Berry, around the time when I went out and bought that chess box set that sure. came out in the mid-late 80s, um, and seeing Springsteen's um, reference to um, a coffee-colored Cadillac. In Nadine. and, and Yeah. The, the descriptions, I mean, are incredibly poetic mm-hmm. and not as simplified as, um, and not to put down blues lyrics, but um, no, those, I, those, were, those were very filtered. Yeah. In comparison. So I, I, the detail was just amazing it and vivid. It
1: seems as though that was what he got from country music. Country music is, the lyrically speaking, is is really about the narrative, the personal narrative. Yeah. Um, and Chuck was such a great student of that, that he knew that the singular details of human beings' lives, they're just so evocative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because there's certain lines from certain country songs that over the years, I forget that. Oh, that's not a Chuck Berry lyric. What's the in good year for the roses? The, the lipstick stain on the coffee cup yeah. that you probably didn't drink, but right. at least you thought you wanted it. And that's so much more than I can say for mm-hmm. me. That we can visualize that coffee cup. Oh, yeah. And how he extrapolates the emotions of the relationship in that lyric. That seems, although it's not a Chuck song, it feels like something Chuck would do. Yeah. Um, and I know for me, one of the oh, there's so many lyrics, Chuck lyrics that just right? knock me out. <laughs> he would invent his own words, and they and you knew exactly what he meant. Um, the way he would use words, the rhythm of a word. I think in Dear Dad, he the way he uses he talk about trying to increase the engine size of his of his junk car, and he you know, but I um, but he's unless I perforate the hood. Yeah, the way yeah. he uses that as punctuation. And um, uh, name another rock son that has the word. Perforating it.
2: No, I can't name one. But yeah, that, that reminds me like the, the day after Chuck passed. Mm-hmm. I was in a record shop and I was flipping through through the records and uh, they're playing a Chuck Berry record in tribute. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of the guys in the back of the shop, one of the guys that works there and then somebody else that was uh, browsing around as well, starts commenting on the song that's playing. And then they get into this... I should have recorded it. It was great. <laughs> they They get into this long conversation about his vocal delivery. Oh, yeah. Drop the coin right into the slot. Perfect. You know, it's like, I thought, yes. yes. How, and, uh, how aggravated he
1: is after the seatbelt has jammed. Yeah. <laughs> he goes back to the, riding along in my, but it's riding along. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, he's upset. He's, like, he's, his teeth. he's he's just so bright. And also something that we noticed in, retro, well, about a year ago, actually. It was almost exactly a year ago to, to the day, previous to when Chuck passed away. Um, we had been on a Chuck Berry kick. Uh, on the on the tour bus. And Dwight had pointed out how, he said, notice how Chuck, if he can avoid it, he won't use the same word for the same object uh, more than once in a song. So if he's already referred to a i ta- I'm just grabbing this as an example. If he already refers to a taxi, if that same taxi shows up in the second verse, it'll be a checkered or it'll be a cab. Right. He, he won't repeat the same word if he can avoid it. If he can avoid it. And I think that, uh, That requires so much attention, a lot of energy, and a lot of care to write that way. And so I think over the years, a lot was made about how insouciant Chuck seemed to be about his material, maybe because of the way he played it in concert and didn't care to have a steady band. And Mm -hmm. people had their complaints. But if you refer to the records, I think there's just tons of care there and, and tons of instruction anybody who wants to write a song, rock and roll or not, as to how hard you must work for it to really work, for it to really matter. Um, There's no laziness in Chuck Berry's music. Um, Now, the lyric that I think of, because I think it covers so much personal dynamics (laughs) in very few words is in Sweet Little 16, and what I think is the second verse, could be wrong, where the the 16-year-old girl who wants to go to the dance is trying to convince her parents to let her go. And first she pleads to the mother and just says, can I go? It's so exciting. I, I'm not going to quote the whole thing because mm-hmm. we'll, we'll hear a snippet of yeah. it. And then before the mother answers, she turns to the father and says, I beg of you, whisper to mommy, it's all right with you. <laughs> so she's going to play the parents against each other. Right. Classic. I mean, this is, we all know this dynamic. Well, that's growing up. Whether we've, we've been the kid some of us are now the parent. And I love that three-way relationship, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all that's going on, um, and puts it in this wildly catchy melody. Oh, mommy,
4: mommy, please may I go. It's such a sight to see somebody steal the show.
1: So do you have a, any Chuck Berry show stories or any sort of Chuck stories? Yeah, I
2: actually, I actually caught him three times, twice at the Hootenanny. Okay. I got to say, every every time I saw him, for the most part, there was a little bit of that train derailment mm-hmm. thing that you would notice, but I kind of knew it was going to, you know, those uh-huh. things were sort of stitched in. Um, because a lot of times, yeah, like you had mentioned, he would have a pickup band that, you know, he may not have had any rehearsal time with. They oh, had yeah. to know the songs. They had to be ready for the surprise key changes mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, um, so every show had a little bit of the, that quirkiness to it. And, uh, I, I went out to to Las Vegas to see an old rock and roll show, um, with Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Chuck Berry. Um, somehow, uh, Jimmy Walker was the host of the night. I don't, really don't know how... (laughs) Natch. Because (laughs) his off-color jokes in between sets just really, (laughs) it was terrible, but... Um, Little Richard was, was, was great. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis was great. Uh-huh. Kicked out the, the bench behind him. Sure. You know. And then Chuck comes on to headline. And the set was incredibly disjointed at the time. Mm. Um, he would stop songs sure. on multiple occasions. And this was a pretty big arena uh, that he was playing in. And I thought, oh, this has got to be so uncomfortable for a lot of these people that have never seen these guys. And they're expecting to hear the records as they were recorded and, you know, go hear all those hits. And they're going to hear the hits, but they're hearing them as performed decades and decades later. Yeah. And uh, they might not be aware of Chuck's um, patterns on the road. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, this is, this is kind of rough, but at least I'm glad I'm here. They're all these guys in the same house, right? And uh, there was a redeeming moment at the very end of the show. He invited... Uh, ladies to come up on stage oh, right. and dance. Yeah, And so a lot of these older women would jump up on stage and they'd start dancing around and and, uh, and he'd, he'd be playing. And then he motioned for this little boy in the front row to come up. Mm-hmm. And so somebody lifted this boy up, put him on the stage, and he's just standing there facing <laughs> Chuck, right, just looking at him. Chuck grabs him by the, the shoulders, turns him around to face the crowd, gets right behind him, picks up his guitar, oh. and puts it over the boy's head yeah. and around in front of him and, let, and you know, guided his arm to strum the guitar. <laughs> cool. So this kid is playing guitar, <laughs> Chuck Berry's guitar yeah. while it's still strapped to Chuck Berry yeah. <laughs> on stage in Las Vegas. And that just put the biggest smile on my face, and it redeemed the entire night for me. I Good. mean, anything else could have gone wrong, but the fact that he did that and made that boy's memory happen, yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so for some reason, uh,
1: we're talking about the similarities from one Chuck song to the next. Jaco, uh, Jocko, one of the members of Shauna Na, told me when they, they were back in the 70s, they are doing a show with him, and they back, they backed Chuck up. Hmm. And so they, they're doing a the song, and then Chuck takes a long guitar solo. And then he but he's still playing the solo, but he looks back at Jocko, who's at, on the drum riser, and Chuck's saying something, but Jocko can't make out what it is. And he's trying to read Chuck's lips, and Chuck's <laughs> says and Jocko can't figure out what it is. And the, <laughs> Chuck gets all the way up on the riser, leans over the drum kit, and says, what song are we playing? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, one last thing about Chuck's music. I think in the future, we really roll this sucker way down the road. And I think it's already happening, come to think of it, that his music may, f- it may fall into the category of folk music in a certain way. In that, even though we have this huge catalog of his records, you know, his, his recordings of how he wanted those songs to go at that time. But what's been happening for decades in bars... And garages and big concert stages all over the world is we don't, we, we've not agreed upon that fixed way of doing those songs. Meaning, you can throw any random musicians together and one of the, okay, what are we gonna do? What's it, God, Johnny be good in A. Well, yeah. Chuck didn't record it in the key of A. Yeah. And frankly, <laughs> for all we know, someone, the guitar player is probably gonna get the intro wrong. He's probably gonna play the intro to <laughs> one of the other ones. One of the other ones. Or the stop times before or during the guitar solos are not going to be according to the record. But it's all going to fall on the umbrella of Chuck Berry Yeah, because it
2: doesn't matter. It's like uh, whatever song you throw out, it doesn't matter. Just, everyone's basically just saying, let's play a Chuck Berry song. Right. So you can substitute
1: so many elements of it. Um, and in the movie, in the Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll movie, everyone mm-hmm. talks about the, the argument between Chuck and keith over the intro to carol right, right. what was funny even i don't know i was probably 13 or 14 when i saw the movie but even then i knew it was like no one's really argued about this in the longest I-, I think even you know you know what i mean And so like well i don't even at the time was like, i'm not even sure which one of you is specifically correct <laughs> but you know you can get into carol regardless right <laughs> um, so and you can have the finest one of the finest rhythm sections you could conjure you get joey from nrbq you have steve jordan on drums and it's just sort of well. Let's just let it roll and let it go, and and so in that way, his his music has become slightly modular. Uh, I just uh, the people probably even flub some lyrics, uh, but the spirit in that way, the yeah. spirit of his music carries yeah. on. And and of course, we will probably and they'll probably indicate well, what was middle class American life like in the in the middle of the twentieth century? And we might be able to time capsule some of those songs. Well, oh, it certainly, we may, may have gone something like this.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So.
1: So, yeah, so, and it was funny because I thought, you know, I always just kind of assumed that whenever Chuck Berry would pass away, I was thinking, well, what's the last, what's the last recording we'll have had yeah. in the studio wise?
2: Yeah, I was trying to think of that too. And, and then I, it turns out that he
1: gets the last word in some way because uh, I've heard Big Boys, which is the, yeah. the advance single from his, his upcoming album. Right. So the Big Boys trick has Tom Morello on guitar. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know um, that. But, but from the intro, you, well, for, I would, I didn't know it was going to be a Chuck Berry. So honestly, I was I did yeah, I just, I heard the intro and I assumed it was someone doing a Chuck Berry thing, and his voice doesn't sound exactly like it did in. It the still late, sounds great. Though. It still sounds great, and his his elocution, his diction yeah. is all there and it was always there. By the way, he never slurred words. Mm-hmm. So he wanted you to pay attention to what he was saying. Yep. Um, a fun tune. <laughs> So uh, I don't have any more information about the album. I'm sure we'll get more as it comes up. But if you're uh, if you're tooling around, look for a song called "Big Boys" by Chuck Berry because it's it's a new one and it's a good one. Rest in peace, Chuck, and everybody go out and listen to more Chuck Berry music.
2: All right. So January 2017, Anaheim, California. It's the uh, the home of the NAM convention which is the uh what is it the National Association of Music Merchants Very, I was I was ho- I was right, I was looking at I was you. staring
1: at you the whole time I was saying that <laughs> and the whole time I was trying to avoid eye contact because I I don't really know what it stands for I got to be honest
2: but uh yeah it's it's um it, everyone converges on this town that is either uh a musician uh a, a, a an instrument retailer retailer um music fan mm-hmm. uh and the companies that make instruments and the way we hear music and every everything from stage lighting to microphones, mm-hmm. amps, guitars, keyboards—it's massive. Yeah. But uh, you and I both attended, although at different times. Yeah, that was my first time ever. Going. I can't believe that. No, I, I, I'm not that guy. <laughs>
1: I, honestly, I, I'm not that heavy of a gearhead, uh, and also I'm not very good about uh, asking for things. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I mean, I've known a lot of, I have a lot of buddies who go year after year because, well, you know, sponsored by this drumstick company. And, you know, and it, it's healthy. It's, it's very healthy business. You go and you you, you network and the, you build relationships and yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm so emotionally stunted that I just convinced myself I, I have no business there. But I was invited, uh, much to my surprise, by, by Fender uh, Musical Instruments, and we had that week off, but it lined up that way. Now, how many times have you gone? Uh, I think this year was about my
2: fourth or fifth time. Okay. Spread out over many years? or Consecutively. You... Oh, consecutively. Yeah, the company I work for is a, uh, a wholesale distributor of everything from DVDs, Blu-rays, to CDs, vinyl, mm-hmm. accessories, headphones, gotcha. all kinds of stuff. So we actually uh, have a, a wholesale slash retail Interest in the NAMM show because mm-hmm. of the uh, the products that are offered there. In fact, uh, we had some employees that were spending time at the Floyd Rose booth because mm-hmm. there's a, a new series of headphones that we carry. I see that they were showcasing. Okay, but you informed me that they actually do more more than that, right? Floyd Rose. Floyd
1: Rose for guitar players out there, it, it goes without saying you you know the name because they he came up with the. Uh, uh, a, a bridge system for guitars, especially in the 80s when people were using the tremolo bar quite heavily a la uh, Eddie, especially because of Eddie Van Halen. Right. He developed this system, this bridge and and locking nut system to where when you brought the tremolo bar back to pitch, the strings would actually come back to pitch. Notori- if anybody's listened to Jimi Hendrix Bootlegs, you know what life was like before. Right. The <laughs> uh, Floyd Rose's uh, locking system. But, um, uh, yeah, and I was warned about how best to do this visit. Um it's a lot. It's a lot and I I had very specific people I wanted to go see and and speak to. And so in fact I was having trouble with a guitar uh and there's a very well respected uh guitar repair guy luthier in Nashville. And um uh, he had checked out the guitar but I wasn't there. It'd been sent to him. He looked at it. And he says, you know, we really prefer to see the player play the guitar. We make a lot of our ju- adjustments based right. on that. And I was not going to be in Nashville anytime soon. So uh, and we, were, we. I think we were talking in December. And then we are trying to figure well, I don't know when we'll see. We could, we could possibly be in the same place, same time. He said, well, I'll be at the Nam convention in January. So I actually showed. I brought that guitar. got to meet <laughs> Joe. He got to see me. He's always cool. had a little bit of a consultation. But, but then again, yeah, it makes a small world even smaller. Yeah for the weekend. Um and uh, I visited my friend Adam over at Satellite Amplifiers, one of our, our one of our sponsors. Um and his company's doing very well. He had a, a new line of pedals and amps to, to show off and so I was there. Stopped at Martin uh, guitar company because we were on our we were about to play near their factory. Oh yeah, yeah. So, stopped by and said hello to a few people I know there and Dwight had his uh DD28 guitar that was premiering so mm-hmm. um so i went i i went on thursday the very first day of it i heard that was the less, class it's yeah, the least made the right day. Choice. and i had a you know i had a certain window of time that i wanted to be there and, and certainly by the time i wanted to get out mm-hmm. and I, I i really enjoyed myself it it um and of course going over to the to the fender uh, i think they had a whole floor i think yeah oh, it was pretty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and met met some folks there um that I had either only known via email or maybe just by reputation, uh, guys uh, that build their amplifiers and um, just just had a really really great uh, time just nerding out. I could go on about all all the stuff I saw, but but what was great is is what came out of this was uh, I was invited to. Uh, do something for fender, which we'll talk about a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I didn't, and I ran into some old friends, which was lovely. Yeah. People I'd really hadn't seen the longest time, Um uh, guitar players and, and musicians that I would met once or twice on bar gigs year ago, uh, years ago. And, and, oh my God, what are you up to? That sort of thing. So
2: yeah, it's amazing that it's so huge. There's so many people there, but I run into so many people I know. And it's mm-hmm. just hard to imagine that such a vast space, all these people are bumping into me. It's a lot. I mean,
1: there's probably some sort of statistical calculation as to putting you guys at the same booth, or roughly at the same yeah, time. Maybe. It's, it's or at least by the same beer stand. Okay. Yeah, so this was not as random as we may think, <laughs>
2: is my point. Uh, and did you catch, what, how about you, did you catch anything new, or? or? This year I wasn't shopping for any uh, accessories or instruments, mm-hmm. although last year I did buy a combo uh, capo tuner, which was just, just a weird does it work it it does oh, okay and uh, it's cool because it lights up you know so if i'm doing one of those <laughs> little acoustic singer songwriter things and i'm in the wings you know i can at least sure you know see what you know what's happening tuning wise yeah um but yeah this year i wasn't out to buy anything or you know i was just more or less window shopping and mm-hmm. i certainly like i mentioned earlier i was kind of looking for some of the ipad related accessories because i do some home recording myself right uh through GarageBand. and so anything that can help make that a little more interesting mm-hmm. or exciting, um, I was just kind of looking for new stuff there, but beyond that um uh, there was one day I took my uh my girlfriend's oldest daughter, who was her, her first time to go, and so we kind of went looking for some of the artist appearances, yeah, and she was able to meet some members of bands that she uh she really enjoyed uh, in fact we and this was a complete surprise to me there was a a drummer signing of about four or five drummers, and one of them was in a band that That Cassidy really enjoyed, and it's like, oh, well, let's see about getting in that line. Maybe you can meet him. But the line was just insane. Tons of fans here. So we just kind of watched from the side, and I took a few pictures, and one of the guys that popped into that booth was wearing a mask. And turns out, you know, she points out to me, oh, that's one of the guys from Slipknot. And I'm like, oh, that's just true. I should take a picture of this. He happened to walk by, and I snapped a picture, and I thought, well, I I should look this up and get his name in case I post this. I want to be accurate here. Uh And it's Jay Weinberg, it's <laughs> son of. Max's son. Now I knew that Jay was a, a drummer. He had uh, he subbed in. with yeah, the Street pop. Band, and I just didn't know that he so quickly inserted himself into a uh, you know sort of an A list band that, him. that tours internationally. and all So yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. And, and uh, so yeah, we were uh, just kind of um, bouncing around. I, I ended up I ended up meeting Alan White uh, of Yes, drummer from Yes, at mm-hmm. a, uh, a Yamaha drummer signing. And he's there every year. He's fantastic. And uh-huh. of course, yes, just got uh yep, inducted so yeah. into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um in the same signing, uh, I met Clyde Stubblefield, which was one of two oh. James Brown drummers that were in the room that day. Yeah. And of course, uh Clyde just passed away as well. Like, like I think two to three weeks yeah, was like, after weeks NAM. after Nam, yeah. But beyond that, let's see, one of the one of the big ones for me that I met uh, was Mary Wilson from the Supremes. Oh, tremendous. And she's just, she was just wonderful. Yeah. Um, so one of the, uh, the artist appearances I went to was, um, there were a couple that Yamaha put on, and they do this every year. They have one that's a, a, a big drummer signing, mm-hmm. and uh, they give you a big drum head. And basically, you can get all these guys to sign it, and they come from all different genres, which I think is fantastic. You're getting a jazz drummer, you're getting a world uh, music drummer, you're Mm -hmm. getting a a rock drummer, you you know, Prague, all all kinds, and uh, and that's really cool. But they also uh, a couple hours later, they do one for guitarists, okay, and uh, it's usually bassists, Uh uh, but they do have some other guitarists in there. So like in the past, they've had um, you know Michael Anthony Uh from Van Halen. And Nathan East is there every year. And I really enjoy seeing him. He's the nicest guy. Yeah, I've always uh, had lovely fans. And I've always loved his work with Clapton. And, of course, he has his own um, jazz thing going on as well. Um, So while I'm in line for the the Yamaha guitar signing, um, I sit next to this guy uh, who turns to me and asks me a question. And we introduce ourselves. He was uh, telling me the story of how he flew into to L.A. Uh, to come to the NAMM show, and his luggage was just destroyed. He showed me pictures of his bag, or his, oh, uh, no. his suitcase, and he had he brought a bunch of CDs with him, his own CDs, and one of which actually survived. He brought that in to pass off to uh, Nathan East. Oh, I see. Uh, give him a listen, because they're, they share musical interests. Uh-huh. Um, and so he was really excited to, to meet Nathan as well. And uh, so he and I were waiting in this line, and uh, we just developed a, a really nice friendship, and it's. It it really brought to the forefront like the the great experiences you have at the NAMM show not just looking at all these great products and hearing all these great bands uh, do little mini sets but the kind of people you you meet and run into from all over the world um, and you all you have one thing in common yep and it's music and it doesn't matter what kind of music it no. is music is what brings all these people to Anaheim California once a year <laughs> to really just open their eyeballs really big and yeah. just drool and. And, and check everything out. So Abel made it safely home with all of his uh, luggage intact. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think they're working out all the damages and everything. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Abel left us a little gift. Here it is.
5: Hi there. Greetings from
6: Spain. This is Abel Franco, and you are listening to the Jukebox Graduate.
2: Isabel franco with the song amazonia from the album sin palabras ah well done from sir. 2013 okay <laughs> excellent pronunciation dave thank you so much Gracias. Uh, so <laughs> don't push it
1: um and speaking of guitar amplifiers i want to make mention of uh one of our sponges here my good friend adam over at satellite amplifiers they make custom amps. They make amps for some really big names, and just uh, for some of the guys who just like to scare the neighbors uh, from their living room. Uh, I just visited uh, Adam a couple last week. Actually, I was doing a show in San Diego, stopped by there, and I always think I'm going to stop by and just say hi for 10 minutes, but always develops into something much, much longer than that because they have so many great different amplifiers to use, and and uh, now they're making pedals, and they just started making their own guitars. Um, the Satellite Coronet Guitar. I played about five different ones there at NAM. Uh, they're all just incredible. And so go to satelliteamps.com to check out their line of amps, guitars, effects, accessories, and see what they have to offer. Satellite Amplifiers, yesterday's
2: technology, today. April 28th brings us the brand-new studio album from Willie Nelson, country music Willie. icon. The album's called God's Problem Child. <laughs> Have you heard about this? Uh, maybe. He's got a pledge music campaign going on right now for okay. it, which I already uh, immediately signed up for. Okay. Lots of cool stuff on there, but he's been slowly previewing one new song after the next. And uh, next to Robert Pollard of Guided by Voices, I got to say Willie Nelson is the hardest working, uh, <laughs> a prolific guy, prolific right? guy yeah. in in the music world, um, putting out several records a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, but keep in mind he's also touring all the damn time. That's right. And there's yeah, there's some actually. I, I saw online. I saw in fact, I think on the Pledge Music site, I saw a little sit down interview with Mickey Raphael talking about how the songwriting process works. Mm. There's a, a oh, gentleman that, that that Willie writes with that prepares some things, and then they text back and forth some ideas, some lines, and sure. they kind of work things out a little bit in advance. And then when Willie's back in town, they've already got some music laid down, and Willie will just put his parts on, and they'll knock it all out there. But he's kind of writing from afar while he's on the road sure. with this guy. And uh, so I think that's kind of how he's making so many records these days, because he is, like I said, on the road again. He's preparing them remotely. But, but yeah. with modern technology, there's no reason why you couldn't. There's no, no reason. reason. It's, that's it's really, it's that's how, how a lot of it's
1: done. Yeah, efficient use of time. I like it. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, we, we heard from Mickey Raphael at the top of the show. He, he was able to introduce us for us because a few weeks ago, uh, we did some shows with Willie Nelson. Uh, mostly, you know, I think they're all in Florida. Florida, I think. Yeah. And uh, what a treat. What a treat. Now, full disclosure, I'd met Willie about tw- over 20 years ago. Uh, one of his daughters is a, is a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, we met in San Diego when we were... I don't know, we were kids, but, um, and she actually brought me to, well, a few of his shows. Uh, he was doing a, a stand of shows with Leon, just him oh, yeah. with Leon Russell. Do you remember that era? Yeah, I do. Uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful evening. And so I got to meet him and chat with him quite a bit. And um, and and this time around, uh, I got a chance to spend time with members of his band and crew. Uh, Mickey, his bass player is a guy named Kevin Smith, who I had met in 1996 when i was with russell scott because kevin was in a a devastating trio called high noon uh and they were just they were so good and and kevin was one of the fastest right hands in upright bass playing the guy it was like a blur of a forearm (laughs) and so it was nice to catch up with him um and some of his crew guys it was great to hang out with mickey in fact mickey challenged me (laughs) Uh, we were talking about harmonica, and he said he could never figure out exactly what we're hearing on the Shy Lights' Oh Girl. Oh, was, well, it's harmonica, isn't it? it? Well, that or a melodica. You know that thing you blow into and it has a little keyboard on it? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So... I and, he, and so he, he says, "Yeah, well, get back to me on that. Can we find out what that is for me?" And I, after like two days of internet research, I really couldn't come up with a, a definitive answer to that. So, um, <laughs> and uh, so it was great hanging out. Uh, and, and Willie sounded fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what can I tell you? The guy comes out, you close your eyes, that voice. And I think it was Ray Charles that said something to the effect of "Not, not two, but just in one note." You know who you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same could be said for when he plays Trigger that guitar. Uh, when he lays into that first solo, it's people just
2: erupt into applause because they realize it's that's the guy. It's such <laughs> a unique sound that instrument too, you know. Not mm-hmm. not just Willie's voice, but the sound Willie
1: makes on that guitar. Yeah, exactly. And um, it and it's a funky instrument. Uh, <laughs> I mean it, it is so. I was and I had all these questions prepared for uh, his his guitar tech, uh, Tommy. And I had all sort of questions because I'd done a lot. In fact, L.A. Times, I mean, 10 years ago did a specific, or maybe New York Times, did an article about Trigger, that guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, ever since then, I had more specific questions to ask. So I thought, well, who better ask but the guy who takes care of it day after day. Damn. And we were at catering, I think, and, and he was trying to describe this. And then he said, oh, man, that would just be easy if I just showed you. So he, so he took him over to the bench and he pulls Trigger off. And it, it's, you know, look, I, I can get very emotional about this, Um uh, Rock and roll lends itself to various icons. It, 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 you know, we talk about you could you could see a silhouette of Chuck Berry or Elvis Presley. You can kind of figure out even if you can't figure out who it is. You know, it they represent rock and roll in some mm-hmm. way. Um, and uh, especially for lapsed Catholic, you, you kind of assign certain things to just images. You know, they become relics or talismans, if you will. So just seeing trigger, I'm like how many times have I seen this guitar? Not just in concert, but on television and in movies, yeah. and you just,
2: album covers. Well, you've seen it in different stages as well. <laughs> of appearance. <laughs> yeah, and anyway. stages and phases. Oh, okay. um,
1: so uh, it is, it's certainly beat up. I mean, it is really beat up. And somebody wrote on it. Well, a lot of people have <laughs> <laughs> written on it. Unfortunately, in the upper bout where Willie's forearm, his right forearm lays across it, I think Leon Russell and Roger Miller's signatures yeah. have rubbed off rather, oh. rather sadly. Um, and you look at the frets on this guitar, and they look like a Dali painting. They're just melting <laughs> off. The, they just, they're virtually non-existent. And I, I, I said, Tell me, when was the last time you had this guitar refretted? Because oh, he won't let me. It's the original frets. Wow. So then, I, I, that's just not possible. And so how do you, how, how do you, how do you keep it in tune, or how's intonation work? Go ahead. So he just play it, and so I played it, and I just went up and down the neck, and it's how was it? perfect. Really? Well, it just defies all <laughs> all mathematical odds. It should not play this well, you know. Um, it's small. It's a relatively small guitar, yeah. which I don't think I didn't really prefer. That, but Willie's not the biggest of guys. Right. So on his body, it looks perfect, it's perfect obviously. Yeah. And so I didn't want to spend too much time playing the guitar. I, so I played the solo from a song that came out that he did in the 90s called Waiting Forever For You, which was off the, what record's that off? Spirit. Of? I off think. Spirit. That's yeah. right. So I played that solo. It goes a little something like this. Mm-hmm. that was Willie playing it, uh, not me. Um, and, uh, and we talked a little more about the history of the guitar, and, uh, and I, I don't want to say any more. Uh, I just want to thank Tommy, and I just want to make mention of a very, very specific, um, uh, rare, special moment for me. It is, again, it's one of those somebody tell the, the 10-year-old me this is happening because he won't believe it. Uh, I really, really cherish that memory. Uh, and, and again, we talk about there's just this one guy, that makes this one sound and, and thank goodness he's so prolific and there's so many recordings and, and yeah. he's played live so much that we've all had a fair shot at seeing William oh Wilson. yeah uh and you know paul english still playing drums yes his sister bobby and so, bobby and, she's and, and fantastic she's uh, loveliest people by the way everybody yeah um and sometimes the kids uh, join in. Yeah, yeah, Lucas wasn't there. In fact, Amy usually is there, but she was in Australia with her band, Folk Uke, who we'll hear about, <laughs> and, and we'll hear from them in a later episode. Cool. I guarantee. Um, so, yeah, this was kind of a smaller version of it, which was great. The band was very nimble. Uh, I think, yeah, from what I told, they start with they start with Whiskey River, and yeah. after that, all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, and, and But you hear a man, it's like hearing Miles Davis and his trumpet, It's like hearing Charlie Watts at just his snare alone. You you know that's a Stones record. And with Willie, he comes out and sings that very first line of Whiskey River, and you realize you're experiencing and witnessing something that's very singular. And uh, and then, oddly, later on in the same month, I think, uh, we did some shows with X. And so then we can now talk about four people that make a very singular sound. Yeah. I know you know some of the members of X really well, mm-hmm. uh, and I've and I've met them all of them over the years. Uh, I was really happy that when we played at the Palladium uh, in Hollywood with them, I got to bring uh, you know, my wife and daughter came along. Oh, And, and my daughter had seen them either last summer or one of the. We did a show with them and, and Jesse Dayton, my old buddy Jesse oh, yeah. Dayton, played I, guitar yeah. with them. I would say, and uh, which is great. was great. That's the first time she'd ever seen X, and, and she thought that was really great right yeah. and she's her favorite her she knows uh breathless really really well yeah and los angeles and and there's a few songs that are, that are big ones for her but you know breathless is just the one right and so it was a big thrill for me to see her listen and do that and it just sound so great mm-hmm. um but it was but i was really happy that she got to see them with billy zoom this time around yeah which meant a lot to me yeah and i was trying to explain her look you know that You're going to really appreciate that you saw these four people do this. All original. That's right. That's right. So that there's been times over the years where she'll meet somebody or she'll see somebody in concert. And I was like, look, just try and remember this. And we'll fill out the meaning of this a little later.
2: Well, that was the same thing. Like when uh, the first time I saw Chuck Berry at the Hootenanny of the two times I brought my daughter with me. And I made a point Mm -hmm. when he hit the stage to turn to her and say, this is important. Yeah. You're saying
1: it's important to you, old man. (laughs) Remember that this is important to me.
2: No, but this is like this is good. If we ever have
1: to change the name of our podcast, that right? (laughs) No, but this is like square one of the monopoly board.
2: So so distracted. That's got to be the name of this
1: episode. Remember, this is important to me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. If nothing else, it brought laughter to two people. (laughs)
1: yeah um so um so yes and, and they played they played beautifully and uh and and they were all just really lovely backstage. It was great to hang out with them for for a couple of days, uh, but it made me wonder, i don't know uh i I certainly hope that there will be a name of a band that's just breaking right now a band who's just having hits whether it be twenty one pilots or yeah, uh, namely, you know, there's, there's bands right now. They're just out there and they're just killing it. Yeah. They're making great records. They're in the charts, or, or uh, certainly Chance the Rapper or somebody who's really breaking ground yeah. and, and changing things, uh, quicker than we can guess. Um, so even Beyonce, I mean, she's she's been in the game for a while now, mm-hmm. and she clearly her career has legs. She has lasting power. The question is, how long will she want to do this, and will will our children Get a chance to take their kids to see fill in the blank. Yeah, will, p- will people have careers as long as X, a generation? Yeah, Willie Nelson, Chuck Berry. Um, don't know if the economy will sustain that. D- does the way we, the way the mu- music distribution, and will those things sustain that? I, I like to think they will. Mm-hmm. I'm an optimist. But uh, it just it yeah it just made me think I don't know are we going to get a, a four piece band that it will be, still be able to do it thirty years later uh, and and we can share that experience with our children will our children ha- yeah, get to do the same within their context and their right. heroes or
2: yeah it's tough to say uh, you know as I was uh, coming into the studio this morning I was listening to uh, uh, a music talk program mm-hmm. on satellite and they were talking about. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performances this sure. past week, and how yes was, uh, they only had three rehearsals, and all although Getty Lee was sitting in with them, right? Uh, they said it was pretty rough around the edges. No, oh, really? I didn't. I didn't hear it or see it. No, but um, the conversation went on uh, with the callers calling in, um, and they were discussing. Well, so there's two different Yes tours that'll be happening, different.
4: Tangents of
2: yes. Apparently, it is, uh, okay. uh, and I, I can't remember the <laughs> breakdown of of who's in what. What's the split? Yeah, but um, yeah. If you're if you're a lifelong yes fan and you've got kids and you have the opportunity to go see a yes faction, mm-hmm. which one do you take them to see? Or do you, if you go to see one of them and it's not the entire pie, uh, does it mean less to you or, or or even to that generation that you're exposing it to? One caller even called in and said uh, if there's two. Two brands of this band on tour at the same time. I'll choose to see neither of them. There you go. Well, yeah, King Solomon has already split the baby in half. I don't. Right. It's like the, 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 the,
1: <laughs> right. I don't know how we. How do you decide? They've already forced this. Course. Well, I think there was. You know, there's. I learned about this being Shawn and Off at the time I was uh, with them. You, you talk about the the original doo-wop groups and yeah. And I don't. I This could be. I could be wrong. I think there was. At one point, maybe a west, like an east of the Mississippi River, coasters and a west. Oh, of the, there were many. Yeah, and yeah. that's and actually uh, John Bauman, otherwise known as Bowser. Oh, yeah. Uh, that has been his cause lip for quite a while. He's been trying to push for some sort of legislation, some some way to regulate the use of these bands' names, because uh, you know more often than not, the original members they they get the short end of the deal. Yeah, someone buys the name, and they can just populate the band with whoever
2: they well, want. We look at the Beach Boys, right? I mean. Uh, Mike Love, I guess, is the one that can tour as the Beach Boys. Yeah,
1: it's it's a it's a you know, Mike and 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 Bruce Johnson's there. And Bruce Johnson, and, and, yeah. but uh, but clearly, uh, uh, I think that's a that's a unusual and specific. I mean, that's a that's kind of an unusual case. But um, but but I guess stands to reason you you can go see Brian Wilson and his band in which yeah. case they will do Beach Boy material With Al you, Chardine. I or think. you can go see Mike. Uh, you know, yeah. You I guess in that sense you yeah. Beach Boy fans have had that option for a, for a while now. Brian's really been on the, was on the road oh, quite yeah. steadily, yeah. Uh, and, and thank goodness, because um, before you didn't have that option. You went and saw the Beach for Boys for the longest and time. It was yeah. whoever, yeah. You know, just you get Stamos. <laughs> Sorry, John. It's <laughs> just <Which isn't> bad. <laughs> no, no, he's, he fine. he's fine. No, he's fine. um you know who the the steady drummer and i don 't mean steady well, maybe I do mean steady in terms of the drum beat, no again, sorry John um do you know who the the, the full time drummer in the Mike Love Beach Boys, do you know who it is i don't know. okay it 's John Cowsell, the youngest member of the cow really? family yeah. yeah, yeah yeah it's John yeah it's john cowsell He's and he 's a fantastic drummer. And, and a guy who, you want to talk about a guy who cares deeply about music, that would be a great guess. We yeah. should get Calcil in here, because he'll, he'll school us, man. <laughs> really. Um, anyway, I, I digress uh, about, but yeah, the,
2: the idea of, I
1: mean, if you can still do it, I say do it.
2: Like, for example, at one of the Hootenannies, um, Lee Rocker had Scotty Moore come up. Okay. And so, I've, you... of course, I, I was I born too late to see Elvis Presley, sure. you know, in and that... And, that uh, and the Blue Moon and, Boys. Right. Yeah. But... I was I was watching Scotty Moore, I was watching his hands playing those chords, picking those notes, and playing mystery train yeah. and I that moment right there, regardless of who else was on the stage with him, <laughs> I thought this is important to me because that song originally included that guy I'm watching that happen right now. Mm-hmm. this will not be here forever right. and that was important to me, so I do enjoy that yeah um I don't know about the whole journey thing, and there's of course, Journey was just inducted as well, yeah, I was but never a fan anyway, so it really didn't but the, but the the <laughs> By yeah. the way, do we know Steve can hit those notes? I don't
1: know. He, You know, no. he has a new record coming out himself, oh, okay. well, though. So it, he's hitting it, some notes. I don't mean to denigrate Steve. I, right. I could never hit those notes. So I mean, even before puberty, I don't think I could have hit those notes. Um, and I think this is always, to me, it's very simple why Robert Plant won't do the Zeppelin thing again. Because yeah. he's like, well... You I'm, can't recapture. Sure, you two can play your riffs. Right. <laughs> but this, my instrument, it's... It's not twenty one years old anymore. Right, right. And they did, they did, a lo- they did things with tape speed, much like the Beatles did. So his voice, even what he recorded, was a little was, higher. Lo- was a little lower than what we heard oh. because they would.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In some yeah. cases, not yeah, all.
1: Yeah. Um. So the last few shows they did, they reasonably so they they tuned the they lowered the tuning on the guitars and instruments right. just so it could be arranged. And I and of course his freight. By the way, Robert's new music is. And i'm a big fan yes. i think the stuff he's doing is very compelling very exciting and his phrasing's great he knows what he's doing so it's not because he doesn't want to perform music um it's a matter of how how long should we spend looking backwards and, and as opposed yeah. to forward yeah in the words of chuck hell hell rock and roll deliver us from the days of old yeah so and so chuck's gonna you know told us always uh always look out for uh, the new world
2: With all luck on our side we're hoping to have this podcast uh, up and running just prior to record store day 2017 what <laughs> and i know uh, you've
1: been telling me for 10 years then about record store day it's a big day for you this is your new christmas it is this it's is your new christmas christmas I mean, in april christmas in april uh no so it's record store day and i know i have never participated that's all i really know about record i know that things happen at record stores and I've never been. You tell me, if I go to a record store, let's say I'm in uh, Skogie, Illinois. And I look I and say, like, oh, well, there's a there's a record store. Maybe I'll walk over there. What do I walk into? You walk into
2: likely a madhouse. Um, <laughs> Can't wait. Does that sound tantalizing or what? <laughs> no, no, well, it can not be. I don't know. You tell me. Um, what you walk into is a a, a unique environment that was created Uh, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. to give indie record stores a boost. Oh, okay. Uh, Because as you know, in the last 15 years or so, record stores went on a major decline. Uh, Initially started from uh, actually beyond 15 years ago with digital downloads happening in the late 90s. Right. And uh, a lot less physical product was being sold. Yeah. That's when you started to see record stores vanish, especially the independent stores. Mm -hmm. And big box stores... Like Targets, Walmart, yeah. Best Buy's, things like that, started carrying all the mainstream stuff that people wanted. In some cases, exclusives and exclusives. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. exactly right with all three of those, mm-hmm. and they started grabbing a lot of the business that traditional mom and pop stores would be providing. Okay. So about ten, a little over ten years ago, there was a meeting of record store owners trying to come up with an idea: what can we do to help revive this this industry? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a gentleman by the name of Chris Brown that works at Bull Moose uh, up in Portland. Um, okay. A great little shop. In I've fact, been there. I, uh, yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, I know that story. I,
1: I know that story. Now,
2: I, I got to tell you, one of my, the funniest things is uh, on their website, they uh, will have artwork up for everything that they're selling and the details and everything. But if there's no cover art on there, they insert this generic photo, and it's a picture of Paul Simon, and it says, Art Not Available. <laughs> and I love that so <laughs> we, much yes, that's right um yeah. so so chris brown was part of this meeting uh, a little over 10 years ago and he suggested hey how about something like free comic book day you know something that's like it draws attention oh, bizarre, okay because that was the thing that was uh, i think new at the time where people could just walk into a comic book store they get a new exclusive free comic book mm-hmm. And they were drawn into that store when they otherwise would not have gone in there. So once they're in there, they see, leader, something, if yeah, yeah. they see something on the wall. Oh, my God, I had that While when I I'm was 10. Or, or maybe they're bringing their kids with them. or sure. Whatever it may be. And they walk out with something free, and they might start to come back.
1: But nothing's going to happen unless you get them in the store. Right. So, That's the whole point. Okay, so so record store Day was developed, so we need to come up with a, a, an yeah. agreed-upon event that brings
2: people to the stores. Yes. Okay. And so what labels started doing is they started pressing up uh, unique items uh-huh. that are only available on this day right. to indie record stores, not to the big box stores, right. not to major chains, indie retail exclusives okay. to give them a really big boost. Okay, um, And so what these stores would end up doing, they'd bring in this product, the people would flock in because word got out. Great. They would have events in the store where bands would come in and play. You could meet bands. Cool. Um, all day long celebrations, food trucks, you know, all kinds. Of, really? All it's these gotten... stores really just like... They relish this day. Oh, good for that! It's them. a lot of fun.
1: It's a great community. And then now, uh, and this will be established over the course of this show. Uh, over, the, I mean, future episodes, people will pick out that between the two of us, mm-hmm. you're the guy who you really love the collectibles, the different artwork. The, and I'm not judging. I'm just no, it's I'm, a thing. I'm more the guy. Just, I just get me the tunes, right? So, I just so I can imagine now why this is your Christmas in April.
2: Yeah, I mean, they start throwing words out like numbered, limited.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh,
2: and the,
1: the salivating begins, by the way, I can't, I want to hear, I want to have Hank Azaria come in and do his uh, comic book uh, oh story my guy <laughs> voice, and I'm sure the record store owners don't sound like that, but that's just kind of no, what I have in my brain, you sent the PDF to me a couple weeks ago, of the list, the list of things that were going to be available this, re- <laughs> okay, so I have this, uh that's um, double-sided, yeah, this is like a David Crosby's prescription list. Over there. This is pretty long. <laughs> so it's double, you're right. It's David Crosby's side. on the list, too, by the way. <laughs> is he, oh yeah. my
2: God. What, what's he offering? A, I'm not sure looper? how many milligrams. I mean, I'm not
1: sure. Oh, very funny. Is. So you send this, and I, I'm reading it on my phone, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, that's pretty good stuff. But then I realize, and it's in alphabetical order. So I realize well, it's just against me to the Dillinger escape plan. That's not, a, and I realize, well, well, that seems alphabetical. And then I keep flipping. And I keep I scrolling rather because it's on my phone. It's mm-hmm. just endless. And I got to say, and then I showed it to someone uh, who knew nothing about Record Store Day. And I was feebly explaining what it was. <laughs> and you just couldn't get over Like, this is, there's something for everybody in terms of genre. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I see uh, my friend uh, Brandy Clark live from Los Angeles. Uh, there's a, and it's an LP. Um, this is just the first page a couple, of, a couple of David Bowie things, a big star thing. Uh, collection of Final Masters. Uh, th-
2: this can go... And I'm sure this is... You can find this somewhere uh, online. Yeah, or... recordstoreday.com should have a, a browsable web version of the list as well as a PDF that you can download.
1: I think, uh, I think my man Jason Isbell did something. Yeah. There's the... Well, I know it was exciting for me specifically, and you had tipped me off this, was the, the McCartney Costello demos. Yes. Right? Yes. And how's that... <clears throat> that's listed well, as the McCartney tapes or cassette the, tape the, or
2: the piece that's on there, it's a, it's a cassette. Now... Uh, I'll backtrack a little bit here. Uh, Record Store Day started off being uh, a mishmash of CDs and vinyl, mm-hmm. but over the years it's started uh, gliding over to the predominantly vinyl side. There are some CDs this year, but there's also some cassettes. Cassettes, oh, wow. cassettes are coming back, oh, believe no. it or not, and one of the items is a uh, a big name, um, Paul McCartney. There's a uh, uh, a cassette with three demos that are exclusive to this physical piece that he recorded with Elvis Costello back around the time that McCartney was making Flowers in the Dirt. So you get demos that were actually recorded on a cassette, presented on a cassette with a printed insert with the handwritten notes on it.
7: That's fantastic.
2: And it's a limited thing. And so it's like it's a total throwback. Okay, so Record Store Day. Now, you put something together. Yes. For us. I've got a little montage I'd like to play. I actually wanted to uh, try to convey that community, that relationship, that environment between the indie retail stores and the people that love music and love collecting music. So I reached out to several music collectors, some music shop owners, and here's what I came up with.
5: So, what's your first record store memory? Well, the, er, my earliest record store memories actually would would have been when uh, Walgreens still carried records. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother kind of raised me. My my I had two working parents, so uh, I would they would drop me off at my grandmother's house. She loved going to Walgreens, eating at the cafe, and drinking her coffee and stuff. I was I was buying records from like ages three probably. <laughs> so, um, so the earliest album memory I can yeah. tell you is that. Uh, I didn't know anything from, I have a brother who's five years older than me, and I don't know how I was making enough money to warrant this at the time, but we were making allowances. My brother was going to Kmart with my mom, and he says, uh, give me your allowance money, and I'll get you something with it, and what he, he wanted to get something in addition to what he wanted, so uh, he bought me Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, so that's the first album that I ever owned, so I was like three or four.
6: Hi, this is Jeff Lehman, owner of Left of the Dial Records in Santa Ana, California. We opened in 2010. As far as Records day goes, it's been a fantastic experience. Every year, you know, nothing but fanatical people come out about vinyl and our customers seem to be very much appreciative of what we do and what we can provide we try and get as many titles as we can being a small shop i feel like everybody seems pretty happy with what they walk away with and it's a great day just to kind of chat about records and what vinyl means to everyone Hey, this is Jack Bell, and I've been collecting vinyl records since I was about 10 years old back in the 70s. Vinyl has been a part of my life for
2: four decades. What I love about Record Store Day A is because it's always on around my birthday in April, and uh, B, just because of the people that you get to meet, the people that you get to see, and it's uh, a beautiful day to uh, hang out and listen to some great music, and. Uh, See some great people.
8: Hey, this is Sean Borman from Burger Records in Fullerton. And uh, we've been in business for almost eight years
6: now. And we've participated nearly all of our eight years with Record Store Day. And it's always been one of our biggest uh, days in the shop of people lining up outside
8: and it's great we know it from both sides because we're also a label and we've also uh, had a bunch of releases released through record store day so even on the other side it's good for us we can sell a bunch of records in one day and
7: uh, it's a good thing for everybody I'm Matt Smith I'm only 27 but my dad has a massive collection and when new stuff started to come out and I just saw an opportunity to Start my own final collection. I picked it up. So basically, like Record Store Day was the way to start to find like new, more unique stuff. I think it's just cool, like getting people into music and having it a tangible thing. I think is more important than just that. Like that's the thing, like because my my generation mainly ditched CDs for iPods, and like I was into that, but at some point I realized. I miss getting booklets, I miss getting artwork, I miss having something that I can hold and listen to. And when vinyl is like the option, I'll go for that over a digital copy. Because digital's like copies consumption, and like buying vinyl's like having a tangible piece of that artist's work.
6: Dave James, a lot of people know me as Dave Noyce too, because of my old shop they always called me Dave Noyce, but, uh... Factory Records started, we opened in 2010, so we've been here almost seven years. Uh, we're one of the heavy hitter shops around town. We, we bring in tons of the Record Store Day stuff. It's hard to imagine it coming in here, but we've got a very good system where we make a ton of room for it and it works really well. So people people flock to us, uh, people get in line about 11 at night and when we open at 5 in the morning there's a line all the way to the street. It's just insane and it's, it's crazy all day. Um, and every year it's been our best retail day. Each year beats the last. There's a great chance for people to get out, hit a brick and mortar, hit an independent record store. I mean, I know they have records just about everywhere these days, but I appreciate when the people come here because this is the old school way to shop for records. It's the way that I grew up doing it. It's how I did it in my old shop, and uh, it's gonna be killer. It's gonna be a really good day.
4: Craig from Table 5 Records at the Greater Orange County Record Show. Hey, thanks for asking me about uh, Record Store Day because I think it's one of the greatest promotions for the indie record store, Um, and the labels are releasing more and more exclusives and reissues that are really hard to find, and the store's... They make it a lot of fun. You know, a lot of them do the live music, the giveaways, and uh, do discounts on existing products and stuff. So it's really a lot
8: of fun. My name is Parker Macy, and I own Cream Tangerine Records at the Lab Anti-Mall in Costa Mesa, California. We've been here for six years, and we specialize in rock, blues, jazz, funk, soul, R and B, and of course, we have a little bit of everything else. Uh, as far as how Record Store Day connects fans and collectors with uh, local indie shops, uh, you know, if they're looking for their band's thing that's coming out, uh, of course they can find the local shops in the area that they might not be familiar with or go to on a regular basis, and they might make their way to our shops, which is great. We love getting those customers that don't come around uh, uh, all the time, and hopefully. Uh, you know they find something else or get excited about what we have to offer and come back a little bit more often so it's great for us to be able to connect uh, with people uh it's such a, a great day always our biggest day for sales of the year more than any christmas season thing and you know it's a kind of a tradition and uh and a, a day of camaraderie i think with uh people there as well so come on out well, my name is Craig Spudine. I've been um, attending Record Store Day for the April
6: event ever since it started. I can't think of one that I missed, but it's really evolved into something really kind of cool because it's just really a great way to mingle with other people that are like-minded, also to try to find out like what they're interested in as well, and also to support just regular indie retail in general, so it's something that I look forward to um, every year and um, can't wait to go to it this year as well.
0: Hey, this is Rand from Fingerprints Music in Long Beach, California. We are uh, coming up on 25 years in business this July. Uh, I was asked to talk a little bit about kind of the connection RSD provides for music fans and shops like Fingerprints. Um, Record Store Day started out to be a celebration of the culture of the independent record store. So for us at Fingerprints, we've always taken that very much to heart, not just focusing on all of the exclusive releases, which I think there's 400 or something this year. But also the things that we do all year long that I think you don't see in the big box stores, you certainly don't get by online, which is having artists in to perform, uh, talking about music, you know, that kind of one-on-one interaction is is year-round. But it's also a huge day just hearing people talk about it. Um, I'm amazed how often somebody will say, oh yeah, we met in line. And, you know, we get together now every Record Store Day. So there's actually friendships that have developed. That's kind of what it's about. So it's a cool day to, you know, celebrate what we do all year long in a very concentrated, very uh, intense 16-hour kind of uh, time span. So thank you. Hopefully we'll see you on Record Store Day.
4: Hey, everybody. This is Chris Brown with Bull Moose. And as the person who conceived of record store day originally what makes me really excited about how it's developed over the years is that um, especially recently we've been seeing more and more labels and artists using record store day to raise money for charities and there are at least three charity pieces this year one is called stories for ways and means and that raises money for uh, children's literacy Uh, record store day itself is put together a Leonard Cohen tribute album and that raises money uh, to help children's cancer and um, there's a metal band, who's, uh, I can't remember what their name is, I know that's a, it's a 7 inch on red vinyl and the proceeds from that are going to benefit an um, immigration legal defense fund. So, hey have a great record store day and we will see you when we see you. So long. a
1: song to be sung when the table's turning baby. It's my favorite revolution. Very cool. Sounds like a cool event. Registrar day. Thank you for putting that together, Dave. Thank you for all the guys uh, that took part in that. And we'll, we'll thank you by name later
2: on in the yeah. episode. It was great to get that angle. It,
1: yeah, it was. From it, both sides of the counter. Correct. Both sides of the counter. Well said. Uh, so are you looking for... so? <laughs> Yeah, it's like you going on on an Easter egg hunt, really. Yeah. So, what eggs are a you? A week
2: after Easter. Yeah. See how you did that. Yeah. So don't put all your records in the same uh, basket. Yeah. What What are you looking to score? There's probably it's sad. There's probably <laughs> there's probably about a dozen things on my list yeah. that uh, I'm yeah. hoping there's enough people in front of me in line that I don't find them all. Mm-hmm. Just you know, so I can make rent. But no, and those people would be sadder than you or not as sad. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to do it's, that. Math. You know, they've it, won. It's a fine. But have they really? Yeah. Okay. It's sad regardless. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, but as you mentioned, uh, there's there's a couple Bowie titles. There's one that I'm really looking for that uh, I do hope I find. It's a live show from 1974 that's never mm-hmm. been released before. Uh, there's also an unreleased live show from The Cars as recorded at the oh. Agora in Cleveland in 78. Uh, Agora 78 as Springsteen Freaks. Just that phrase alone. Right? Pers- yeah, it just gets your interest up. Yeah, so. this is probably from a radio broadcast at the time. It makes sense uh there's a an electric lady session by drive by truckers oh wow whose record last year you and i both agreed with was... i still have a lot to say about yeah i still yeah. haven't gotten to that
1: i think we'll put what it means on our playlist for this episode oh, hopefully yes. on the spotify playlist i think that might even be
2: on this set
3: oh yeah
1: so
2: That's... maybe i'll pick one up for you for uh, for christmas in april that'd be, that'd be great Uh, what else am I kind of looking at? There's a Ben Folds live, uh, live in Perth, which was, it's audio taken from a home video release. This is the first time the audio has been out on its own. Uh, there's a Jimmy Page and Black Crows, uh, EP from a live show that's never been released before. Oh, wow.
1: And I was, a I really loved that run. I did too. And I find myself in the YouTube rabbit hole. Someone (laughs) at, at one of the Greek, at the shows at the Greek, they're in front of stage yeah. left, I believe, and they've got footage. And I don't know the source of the oh, footage. Oh, wow, really? Because I really loved hearing, like, is uh, it 10 Years Gone with all the guitar parts being yeah. played live on stage, which Zeppelin couldn't
2: right. do. But now you've got, I think, Otley's there and Rich is. It's just a tremendous... And all the Zeppelin fans that want Plant to come out and do this, they were actually able to hear that music with the original guitarist and a voice on hand. That could handle that range and he, do it he, justice. He
1: did what he could. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's a, again, well, Chris could probably tell you how that's not easy to do. No. Uh, whether you're Robert Plant or not. Or not. Uh, so, okay, so I'm sorry, I, I digress. So, oh. And then I noticed like the Springsteen with the live, the 75
2: yeah, live, the, the Hammersmith show the, the coming out on, show. on vinyl for the first time. So Very cool. the vinyl fanatics, which a lot of Springsteen fans are, mm-hmm. first time there. Uh, there's a Towns Van Zandt. Uh, Austin City Limits show that is previously unreleased that I'm kind of salivating over as well. There's just so much on this list. Um, I'm not going to go through it all, but I've heard there's over 400 titles uh, being (laughs) offered exclusively to indie retail stores. That's great. And I think it's just fabulous. So um, one of the items I I did want to mention, which was uh, briefly touched on in that montage, there's a uh, a Leonard Cohen tribute that uh, I'm told is not going to be reissued later in any other format. Um, This is it. This is it. Uh, It does come with a download card, so for the people like yourself, Gene, that that love (laughs) to have the best of both worlds, you'll get that. Oh, great. Uh, But it features uh, Avi Buffalo, Glenn Hansard from the Swell season, Joseph Arthur, all doing Leonard Cohen songs. Um, It's called uh, Like a Drunk in a Midnight Choir, and uh, I believe it is a charity piece. And my friend Rand Foster, who you heard in that little medley, who runs uh, Fingerprints Music in Long Beach, he was one of the producers, if not the producer, on that set. Oh, And so... um, I'd, I'd like you to, to head out and grab one of those if you see one. Just goes, you know, all, all these pieces you're seeing on Record Store Day, like I said, they're they're either reissues of something that's very hard to find mm-hmm. that you'd be paying uh, high collectors money for, yeah. or you're getting unreleased stuff that you're not going to find again anywhere else. So whether it's the content or the collectability of it, there is something for everyone here. Um, and i just like to remind everyone that Record Store Day is... April 22nd, 2017. Check with your local uh, indie retail stores to find out uh, the closest one to you and what time they open because a lot of them have uh, large crowds forming prior to opening. You want to make sure you get in there with enough time and uh, go find yourself something real nice.
9: Bruised up and skinny as it...
1: Okay, that was Tiff Merritt, and th- in fact, that album has one of my fa- favorite guitar players of all time, Mark. Re- and I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last. I, I've been saying "Rabo." I think it's "Rabo." Okay, uh, we're gonna go with Rebot. What we? What's the other option? Uh, "Ribbit." Uh, well, no, I I don't know, I, and I know some guys who've worked with them, and and they they adore him, and and, and uh, uh, so I'm always excited to see his name in conjunction with anything. Also, one of the guys from Iron, what the Sam Beam, right? From yeah, Iron Wine the, is the Yeah, a guy.
2: Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, so just the players on this thing, if that doesn't draw you in, I mean, Tiff's just got this beautiful Emmylou Harris-like voice, this angelic voice. I had a recent opportunity to do a little Q&A with Tiff, and uh, I'll be putting a link in the show notes, so you can go check that out. That was done for Discussions Magazine recently. Cool. Uh, All right, so let's get into the
1: What We've Been Listening To segment. Uh, (laughs) For me, of course, I guess, inspired by some of the stories I've I've been listening to, quite a bit of Willie Nelson, quite a bit of X, a lot of Chuck Berry these things have been shuffled in quite a bit uh but on top of that i really love the uh what i've heard from the new amy mann album and if you look up uh, i think it's uh, the video for a song called patient zero which just came out just a couple weeks ago i think it's beautifully done um it's uh rarely do i advise someone to see a, a video in order to hear a, a, a song first but i'm gonna make an exception in this case. Wonderfully directed, beautifully acted, and, and a tremendous song, as we would always expect from Amy Mann. Um, also, something, this is kind of going back in years too. A band, I don't know if you, do you know Jay Roddy Walston in the business? I know the name. I don't, I'm not familiar with the music. And, and on a couple of occasions, I've been on the road with A Night Off, and they've been playing the same town, and for a variety of reasons, I haven't been able to see them live because I would love to see these guys live. Yeah. But I've been listening to a song of theirs called Break the Needle, and this will be on our Spotify playlist, hmm. so you can check it out. And see if this inspires any. This is, okay, years ago, I think it was the first time the Black Crows came on to uh, Letterman, Letterman's show. And Letterman described it as turn the dump over and go home with a waitress, rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, think about, I think about this band and this track as that style of rock and roll. Yeah. So, if, you know, uh, nice and sloppy in exactly the right way. Um, and I've also been listening to the, uh, the new one from Spoon. And Spoon and The Shins yeah. both have new records out right yeah. now. And it's, I think the L.A. Times even kind of did an, a joint article, if you will. with both. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, these are uh, indie rock bands, but they're not brand new. No. But they're not what you'd call classic catalog artists either. They're mm-hmm. somewhere in between. Uh, and still making, I think I prefer the spoon thing. I was always a bigger spoon fan than, yeah. than a Shins fan. But I like the, the uh, name for you by the Shins. I think it's got a great hook. And the spoon stuff, um, I think it was very, very compelling music always uh so uh, and and i think also the thing that uh that the that the guys in Spoon is it brett they had, they they put the they're not afraid to get the dance floor involved with rock music yeah yeah I mean, something talking heads figured out early uh and and is why their music i think has, has remains somewhat you know, quite yeah. vital franz ferdinand caught on to that a while yeah, back exactly. and i think spoon is there and i always thought that the drummer in that brit daniel that's the guy's name but the drummer in Spoon, I think, has always has been a, a major voice throughout that band's catalog. Mm-hmm. You know, so like the drummer has really something to say and, and doesn't just play it safe.
2: Yeah, they keep moving forward with their sound. Yeah, both of these bands. Yeah. So, so how about you? Oh, what have you been I listening to? and by the way, I really love the closing track on that Shins record.
1: Oh, and Benjamin Booker. <laughs> Uh, the song Witness, Benjamin Booker, and I think I think he has Mavis Staples on vocals on that one. Ooh, uh, really? Yeah, check yeah, Benjamin Booker. And in fact, the album I don't think is out yet, so we'll have more information on the next episode. But if okay. you if you look around for Benjamin
2: Booker, the song Witness, I believe that will be on our playlist as well. Okay. As uh as we talked about briefly in the Record Star Day segment, um the reissue of Paul McCartney's Flowers in the Dirt, mm-hmm. I picked up that Super Deluxe special edition box set that has the remastered album along with all kinds of um outtakes remixes alternate versions the demos with elvis costello yeah. and that's kind of where i was most drawn to because that collaboration has just become a mythical thing and, was,
1: and can we talk about is it because it was probably the last time that we can convince ourselves that paul had somebody in the room to say no yeah, that's definitely the Costello was a strong enough personality yes. to say, yeah. or how about we try this? I mean, Costello talks a lot about what he learned from Paul. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't know if we're ever going to get the straight scoop on, on it. It was just a matter that Paul had a sounding board that might have been a little more...
2: Yeah, it's been documented. There's been some uh, interviews and articles recently about this, and uh, it's it's known that they certainly had different ideas on some of these songs. So mm-hmm. once they got these acoustic versions down they kind of started dividing a little bit after, when it, when it came time to, like, produce them out. Sure. They both had different ideas of direction. Yeah. And, uh And eventually they ended up taking each of their halves, you know. And, and, some, yeah. You know, they were taking, you know, some songs, and I'll do this one here, I'll do this one there, you do that one there. And so they were able to do what they wanted and, mm-hmm. and pretty much split the lot evenly. Because I know that it seems like it's come out that, you know, well, Costello has said that Paul
1: McCartney seems, was able to force Costello to make sense of the song halfway through So oh you've established this and you've established this yeah. but you need some way to make sense of this and at that time because some of Costello's stuff was starting to get rather obtuse as I remember mm-hmm. and so and Paul had always been yeah I think thematically pretty concise there was either character sketches of someone Eleanor Rigby or you know sitting in the back seat of my car there's clearly a, a, a yeah. clear idea of what these two people are going through and um so I could see how, and then also Costello said, you know, Paul was very exacting with, well, you have to tighten up the syllable count here because to match the melody. We don't want to modify this just to cram in more words. So right. Kind of, which, so that's structurally, I can see, well, that's, you yeah, know, that's good. But I wonder what
2: Elvis helped Paul in terms of corrections, if, if any. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these, these songs that they, they wrote together that they held on to for a while. Like, so Like Candy. He lies
9: the powder and
3: perfume. Oh, I know.
2: You know, yeah. um, which over the years, it's one of those songs
1: uh, that people have really... Cu- I'll Some later show, I'll, I've got a, a pretty funny story involving Brian May and So Like Candy. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty crazy story. But um, it's one of those things, when I talk to people, um, and if Elvis Costello comes up, I'm impressed with how many times So Like Candy comes up. We don't talk about... Yeah the earlier period and the bigger hits, this this one clearly has legs amongst music listeners. But yeah, how could you sit on a song that, I mean, I, why, how could you not put that out right away? Right,
2: those lyrics too, and just... With Mark Rabot on guitar, I believe.
1: Ah, uh, full circle. Yeah. Um,
2: so yeah, the, the Flowers in the Dirt set, I, I highly recommend, especially if you're a fan of uh, uh, the late 80s output of, uh, of Paul and Elvis. Um, beyond that, uh, there's a new uh, Connor Oberst record, uh, Talk about, proli- again, prolific guy. Right. Now, this is something that I, I, I think I knew last year that he had a, a project that he was working on. And I think I just got so busy that it flew right past me, huh. whatever it was, if it was. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I saw some article talking about the new Connor Ober. So, oh, great. I'm going to check it out. Uh-huh. And I go check it out. And uh, it's a new 2017 release. Uh-huh. It's called Salutations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, After Ruminations? Right. Wasn't the... Pr- well, Ruminations turned out to be a release he put out, I think, in October of 2016. And that's the one that flew under the radar oh. for me.
1: Right. So Ruminations came out just a few months ago, and yeah. now Salutations. Right.
2: So, but I really enjoy these songs. I've always, I've always liked his voice. Um, singer from uh, Bright Eyes. Yeah. So... Uh, and, and, but, and again, well, you, and you've, ever since... I mean, you've always been a
1: sucker for the solo acoustic version of, of anything. Yes. Right? That's do you remember gonna, you, that? Yeah. Of course I do, yes. So this is a perfect, <laughs> what a great thing you got the...
2: <laughs> I was able to go back, and, and uh, yeah, I love this new record, but yeah, to be in all honesty, I kind of prefer the one from October <laughs> <Of course>. slightly, <laughs> because there's less there, you know, less instrumentation. It's like, oh, wow, that's more real. And then it, and if you have any time in your day
1: after all this to listen to a massive release from Bob Dylan... Yeah,
2: how massive? Uh, how massive is it? What, three discs? It's three LPs. <laughs> and it's, for some reason, they call it triplicate. What? So, yeah, it's it's a, a lot of standards. So yeah. Bob's back to the... Uh, he's still doing the standards albums, mm-hmm. which is totally fine. Um, you know, Bob is kind of one of those things where you're either fully on board, or you can't stand the way he sounds now, or... There's not a lot of middle ground there, from what I gauge from people I know. Funny,
1: by the way, because earlier when you were speaking about Chuck Berry and there'd be an audience expecting to hear hits like they remembered them, and yeah. they, like you're probably not going to no. get that. Dylan came to mind when you were talking about that. and I, I didn't want to interrupt. Well,
2: but... even even Willie doesn't perform like the record any. His phrasing,
1: oh, has sure. been
2: reinvented years ago for these songs. Sure, that's a good point. And I mean, not that it's less enjoyable at all, but. He no. he's not one to rely on sounding like the record. No, he's a jazz singer. In,
1: in yeah, exactly, yeah. And so we have Dylan singing all kind of jazz standards, yeah. American Songbook Standards. But I, I think everybody, I think that the cheap joke most people make about this new round of recordings is, why would we want to hear Bob Dylan now sing right. songs that, that cater to the voice? Yeah. They, they think like it's They're a joke. There's are all Sinatra-esque. Sort of like is this supposed to be ironic? What? But unfortunately, that takes attention away from the arrangements that are going on with the band. They're so gorgeous, right? Bucky on steel, right? Like what's like what these guys are doing is, it's, they, they deserve a lot of credit because it's very special. What Bob and that band is doing with what we'll call Americana instrumentation, yeah, but with American songbook material, yeah. Uh, I, maybe someone's done this before. I'm sure somebody hasn't. It just, it got by me, but the way that they've orchestrated themselves, uh, on a lot of this material, uh, trust me, folks, this is a, it's a master course going on here. And, uh, again, m- a lot of music is just perfect only when it's perfect. It's appropriate for only certain situations and times. And for me, uh, after a show and I've crawled into my bunk in the bus, and you're, which is like being in a coffin, frankly. Um, turn out the light, put your headphones on, put on. Not at a very high volume, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's perfect. It's perfect. Something about this. I, it's not a time. It's like a voice from out of time.
2: Yeah. And, and I hear it as, uh, as a voice that's lived these songs.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, do you want to hear these lyrics and these experiences sung by a twenty year old?
2: The thing for me is that okay, there's three LPs worth of music here. Yeah. And uh and yeah, there's there's songbook songs. I don't know all of these songs. Oh sure. Now sure. I've in recent years I've been digging back. I, like I mentioned before, I collect seventy eights. I'm going back and trying to find the original versions of songs that Chet Baker was even sure, you know, covering in the fifties. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going way back. So I'm getting to know a lot of these standards. Yeah. Um, Pretty well and, and a lot of varied versions as well but there's this album here with three discs worth of material there's stuff I know and stuff I don't know so okay. I'm pleased to have Bob Dylan introduce me to some of these songs he's the guy handing them to me mm-hmm. in most cases here and there's the very first song that uh, was put out before this album came out there was a uh, advanced single that sure. went out and uh, it was a video and I was I just found it at, while I was at work, I, it came up in my feed and I, I sent the link to my email. And as soon as I left work, I plugged in my phone to my stereo, rolled down my window and I head out the parking lot on my way home. I'm going to pull up that video and I'm going to listen to the new Dylan song because I'm afraid that people in the office would probably make fun of me for playing this gravelly voice, (laughs) Bob Dylan standard presentation. I want to hear this on my own terms. So I'm driving, got my window cracked. I put this on gorgeous arrangement. I don't know this song. It's, um, I should have told you, mm-hmm. or I could have told you. I could have told you. I could have told you, and I've never heard this song before. And it gets to the, near the very end, and I swear to God, I hear him sing, she'll find someone new to fuck with. And I'm like, did he just, did Bob Dylan just impress the hell out of me? Or, or is it just his voice is so gravelly and my window's down and I'm hearing all this traffic. And I, so I rolled my window up and I go back and listen to it. And, and I still couldn't quite decipher what do you say? I get home and I look up the lyrics and it's, she'll find someone new to have fun with, but that's almost saying the same thing, <laughs> you know, and it, that's my favorite song off the record. Even though I heard <laughs> it wrong the first time, it's, I'm, it's an endearing thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what
1: we've been listening to. Listen, this has been it for, uh, for us. I think we're going to start rolling out of here. We've taken enough of your time and attention and probably your, your patience. Uh, Dave, who would you
2: like to thank? Well, I'd like to thank everyone from the Record Store Day Montage, Uh, Jack Bell, Sean Borman from Burger Records, Chris Brown at Bull Moose, Craig Doucette at Table 5 Records, Rand Foster from Fingerprints Music, Dave James at Factory Records, Jeff Lehman from Left of the Dial, Parker Macy from Cream Tangerine, Steve Pettit, Matt Smith, Craig Swedeen, also, I'd like to thank uh, Abel Franco, my new friend from Spain and from the NAM show. And I'd like to thank Mickey Raphael
1: from Willie Nelson's Band for uh, being such a gentleman and for doing our, our intro for this episode. And for lending us some music for the episode. Yep, Rock Records. And one more time for my good friend Adam at Satellite Amplifiers. Check them out. Uh, okay, it's time to close with the quotes.
2: Dave, you go first. All Chuck's children are out there playing as licks. Get into your kicks. Come back, baby. Rock and roll never forgets. I'm Dave Rayburn.
1: You take what you need and you leave the rest, but they should never have taken the very best. I'm Eugene Edwards. Thank you for listening to Jukebox Graduate.